You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, please. Turn with me to Ruth, and we'll be in chapter number three uh, tonight. We'll look into chapter four a little bit as well, but Ruth, chapter number three, I'm kind of excited about the truth of the message, and you pray with me. If God will let me preach it the way God already preached it to me, it might be all right. And I've had a good time studying it at least, and I'm praying God will use it. And I know this much. We need faith in days like these, don't we? And uh, if there's anything that we can lean on, it's faith in God. Faith is the victory. Thank God for that, that overcomes the world. And I'm praying tonight God will help us as a church family and strengthen us and just keep us faithful. And tonight, in fact, we're going to think on this thought. We're going to think about having faith until he's finished. Having faith until he's finished. We are far too close to the finish line to lose faith now. We are too close to the trumpet sounding, the final buzzer ringing. We're too close to the towel being thrown in on this dispensation to just lay down and say, you know what, I think I'll just quit in this thing. No, I want to challenge you tonight. Let's have faith until he's finished because one day he'll be done with this. He'll come back and get us and it'll all be over then. And we're going to look at that tonight out of the book of Ruth and I hope that God will let us see it this evening. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number six. I really want to read the rest of the chapter, but for time's sake, I might skip a verse or two and uh, we'll go through this story tonight. Let's look together here in verse number six of Ruth chapter number three. The Bible said, as she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. By the way, notice she laid down at his feet. There's nothing indecent about this. Ruth is a virtuous woman. The Bible will tell us she lays down at his feet. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman." And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Look what he tells her. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she, you know what? That would be hard to do, wouldn't it? I mean, to know that, I mean, basically she just proposed to him and he said, sure, I'll marry you. And then he said, just hold still for a minute. I don't think she probably wanted to do that. It'd probably be kind of difficult to tarry in a situation like that, but that's exactly the command that Boaz gives her. Tarry until the darkness is gone. Just hold still. Just stay at my feet until the sun comes up. And she lay at his feet until the morning and she rose up, verse 14, before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and I like this phrase, and laid it on her. That's what God does to us, isn't it? 
He just lays good things on us every single day. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Now look at this again. Then she said, Sit still. Ruth has just entered into a relationship with her Redeemer, and the first thing he tells her is tarry. And now her mother-in-law says, sit still. That'd be hard to do. Now, I can understand if they said you ought to run a little bit, I mean, get busy, I mean, get stirred up, but they said just hold still. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. And I like the phrase, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. When Ruth laid down at Boaz's feet and Boaz was awakened and looked at her startledly and she said, basically, would you marry me? And he said, yes. She entered into a relationship of faith because the wedding did not take place that night. In fact, the act of redemption really did not take place. It was promised, but it didn't take place that night. She had to, from that moment until the price was paid and Boaz came for her, she had to live on faith that he would come. She had to live on faith that he'd keep his promise, live on faith that he would fulfill his word, live on faith that he really loved her, live on faith that one day he'd come back and wedding bells would ring and she'd be Mrs. Boaz. But until that, that day, until that moment, she just had to live on faith. And I like what her mother-in-law said to her. She said, just sit still because he's going to get busy. And she said, he's not going to rest until he's finished it. And then when he's finished, you don't have to have faith anymore. When he's finished, you don't have to live on expectation or anticipation. Faith is good until, and then you won't need it. Tonight, I want to try to charge us, challenge us, and encourage us to have faith until he's finished. Have faith until he's... One day it'll be worth it to have faith for that moment when you and I don't have to have faith anymore. Let's pray. God, please help our church tonight. And I pray that you'd speak to us. Thank you for the book of Ruth. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That word until means up to the time. That or when something that is supposed to happen actually happens. When we use that word until, it denotes an anticipation or it denotes an expectation. It's a word that has us looking ahead for something that is bound to happen on the horizon. When I think of that word until, what it means to me is that my current reality has an expiration date. What is is not always what will be. And eventually I will exchange this current reality for a new reality. Until means that I might not set a firm date, but I am firm in my belief that there is a day coming when things will change. We use that word until every single day. I don't have to explain it to you. We comprehend what it means. You probably used it today. For example, we'll say things like this. I'm going to work until. And what we're saying is I'm going to labor until the time comes when I can cease from my labor. There's an end to the work. We'll say things like, I'm going to rest until. And what we mean is, I'm going to rest, but one day there'll be a moment when that rest will cease and I'll rise up and get back to work. We'll say things like this, it will be dark until. 
What that means is there's an expiration date on the darkness. It will not always be dark. It is dark until, and then light will break through and change that situation. We say the same thing. I'll be gone until. What that means is I might be apart from you for a little while, but one of these days I'm coming back. And that reality of me being gone is exchanged for that reality of me once again being with you. Until means what is will not always be. And what will be will become what is. Now, I'm glad tonight that there's a lot of truths in the Bible that are not categorized as until truths. By that, I mean they don't have an expiration date, Brother Whitlow. They don't have a time stamp. They don't have a time when they start and then a moment when they finish. But they're perpetual, they're eternal, and they're everlasting. For example, what I mean by that is this. I'm glad the love of God is not categorized as an until Bible truth. I'm glad there's no time when it starts and there's no time when it will end. But I'm glad God's love runs on that perpetual wheel and it never ceases. It's ever running the love of God. I'm glad his grace is an until Bible truth, aren't you? I'm glad God's grace never runs dry. I'm glad he's always got more grace in the well. I'm glad that when sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And I'm glad there's never a moment where I'll fall from grace because God's grace is not categorized as an until. The same thing could be said uh, about God's sovereignty. I'm glad God's sovereignty is not an until truth. By that, I mean the fact that God's in control, brother. I mean, I'm glad that God rules and reigns, and that'll never change. It doesn't matter the weather. It doesn't matter who's in charge down here. It doesn't matter what kind of day I've had. Nothing knocks God off his throne. He is king of kings, and nobody can do anything about it. His sovereignty is not an until Bible truth. I'm glad heaven is not an until truth, aren't you? I'm glad heaven's not a place where moth and rust can corrupt. I'm glad it doesn't dissipate. I'm glad it doesn't delight and fall to the ground. I'm glad he doesn't have to have an infrastructure bill to keep the thing up. I'm glad heaven is there and it'll always be there. It's not until. But while those truths are not categorized as until, tonight faith is absolutely a Bible truth that is categorized as an until. Now we have been studying the topic of faith and faith is simply trusting in God. The word faith tells us there's an anticipation of something on the horizon. There's an expectation of something good that is on the way. Hebrews tells us faith is the substance of things that is hoped for and the evidence of things that we have never seen. So faith is this, it's a confident expectation and it is a hopeful anticipation that what is won't always be and what will be will be what is sometime down the road. We don't see it, we've never touched it, we've not experienced it, but one day we believe by faith that we will. It's an until. Faith's essence is an until. It's an anticipation. The object of faith is veiled to us today, but one day it will be revealed to us. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, the Bible said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now this ought to encourage you. We are called to live by faith and not by sight, but only until the moment we get to live by sight and no longer have to live by faith. The Bible tonight tells us to have faith. It tells us to keep the faith. It says we accomplish things by faith. We are to live and move in faith, but soon that until will arrive for faith and we will no longer have to have faith. Can I say tonight, it'll be worth it for you and I to live by faith for that moment we no longer have to live by faith. Tonight as sure as water is wet or the sun is hot or God is on his throne, there is a moment when faith will be no more and faith will yield to sight and that which we've hoped for and longed for and looked for will come into focus and we'll see it all and no longer will we have to live by faith. Today we cling to that which we've never touched. We sing about that that we've never seen we long for that place that we've never visited. We hope for and anticipate and lean on that that we don't even fully understand. Faith has us singing songs about a land that we've never stepped foot on, about a Savior our eyes have never laid hold on, about a place that our loved ones are, but we've never seen. But one day, neighbor, I'll tell you this, one of these days, those truths are going to step out of the faith realm and into the sight realm, and it might be any day now. It could be today. It could be tomorrow, and it's going to be worth it because faith has an until. One day, your hand will grasp what it's long to get hold of. Your eye will see what it's long to look upon. Your ear will hear what it's long to listen to. No more wonder. No more waiting. No more toiling. We'll trade faith for sight and see it all as it is. So tonight, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. Please don't lose faith now. It is not the day to abandon your faith in God. It is not time to drop the ball of faith. I want to charge you, have faith until he's finished because one of these days you won't need faith any longer. I know it's a hard day. I know it's a dark hour. I know it's discouraging and I know it might be the tendency to lay down and throw in the towel, but Jesus is coming soon. One of these days, the trump will sound. The clouds will roll back like a scroll. Our Lord will ascend from heaven with a shout in the voice of the archangel and we'll trade out earth for eternity. We'll take a flight without an airplane. Transportation on silver wings. We'll bid this world goodbye. We'll step out of what is into what shall be. We'll step out of faith and into sight. We'll trade this reality of sin, sorrow, and shame for that reality of perfection in paradise in the presence of God. Faith is an until. Have faith until he's finished. It's no time to turn back now. Ruth chapter 3 is a great chapter. There's a Moabite widow named Ruth that enters the presence of a redeemer named Boaz. You study the four chapters of Ruth and you find in chapter 1, Ruth's life is just wrecked. By that I mean she's sinful because of her nationality. Her life is wrecked because she's buried a husband. She's unwanted. She's left destitute in chapter 1. In chapter 2, though, she's welcomed by a man named Boaz. The Bible said she goes out to glean and happens into the field of Boaz. Can I say that wasn't happenstance? That was providence. Put her in the right place at the right time to meet up with her Redeemer. Now we come to chapter 3. In chapter 3, Ruth finds out that she is wanted by Boaz. What a great truth. You study out the chapter. In verse number 6, we begin reading. You see her prerogative. 
See what it says? And she went down under, now it's going to take me a minute to tell the story and then apply the story. So please stay with me as I try to tell the story. And she went down under the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. I like her prerogative. By that I mean her choice. I like her decision. She'd heard from Naomi that Boaz could turn her life around. She'd already been eating food from his hand. Her table had been filled by his provision. But now she's going to get more than just the provision of Boaz, she's going after the person of Boaz. Naomi said, if you'll go to where he is, if you'll go to the threshing floor where he's been threshing weed all day and present yourself to him, he could change your life forever. I like the fact that she didn't say, maybe he couldn't fix me, maybe he couldn't change me, maybe he couldn't do anything for me. I'm glad she had faith in the fact that if she'd go to Boaz and lay herself down at his feet, he could turn her life around. We see her prerogative. Then we see her posture in verse 7. That's exactly what she did. She went and uncovered his feet. She didn't walk in there high. She went in there low to Boaz. She uncovered his feet. Boaz, the Bible said in verse 7, is laying down at the end of a heap of corn. What's that heap of corn? That's the work that he'd already finished. She goes and lays down at his finished work and at his feet. She stretches herself out at the feet of Boaz there in humility. She uncovers his feet, and through the night that cold wind begins to blow, and it goes through the toes of Boaz, and all of a sudden that breeze wakes him up, and he looks at the end of his feet, and he sees a woman there, and he's startled by that, and Ruth turns on the charm. You know, she gets those big eyes that ladies know how to... Anyway, she, she begins to turn on the charm, and she looks at him, and she put on perfume and three swipes of deodorant, so she's ready for a date, you know? And she looks up at Boaz, and she says, basically, in good old-fashioned country vernacular, would you marry me? I mean, that might not be politically correct, but that's exactly what she did. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, Boaz, I got nothing, and you got everything. I'm broken, and you can make me whole. You're rich, and I'm poor. I'm a widow. You got it all together. Would you take me? Now, Boaz getting the short end of the stick, but Boaz has already showed her grace, and he looks at Ruth and says, you know what? I think I'll take you. Nobody else wanted her, but Boaz wants her. We see her prerogative. We see her posture. He makes her a promise in verse 9 through 12. In verse 9 through 12, he gives her his word. He said in verse 11, fear not, I'll do to thee all that thou requirest. By the way, he said, the reason I'll do it is because of your testimony and character. You get more from God if you have a good character. Say amen right there. He said, you're a virtuous woman. And then he makes her prosper, verse 13 through verse 16. He said, what do you mean? He tells her, tarry this night at my feet. And while you lay at my feet, he said, I'm going to get something together for you. She brought her apron, held it out, and he put 15 gallons of, of barley in her apron and sent her home. She went, she went to him in the darkness, left in the light. She went to him empty and left full. She went to him broken, and she's getting ready to get put back together. She goes back home, and I tell you how much of a change it made in Ruth to get at the feet of Boaz. Her mother-in-law had to ask her who in the world she was. She said, who art thou, my daughter? What she's saying is, have you got hitched yet to get hooked up to Boaz? And she said, he told me he was going to redeem me. And she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit still until the man has finished what he's going to do on your behalf. Now consider with me, and we are going somewhere, and it's, it's, it's kind of good 
good if you'll hang on just a minute. Yeah, Ruth is waiting. This is her command. Her command is to tarry. Her command is to sit still. Her command is to wait. Her job, her charge is simply to hold her ground and wait until Boaz has finished his work. All she knows is chapter 3. She doesn't have a clue about what's going to happen in chapter 4. She's living now on faith that Boaz is going to keep his word. She's living on faith that he's going to redeem her. He's, she's living on faith that he's going to marry her. She has to sit there on faith. I'm sure sometimes it was hard. I mean, she wants to get married. They need their life turned around. And she has to sit there with that trust and that belief and that confidence that Boaz is going to come through on her behalf. She's just waiting there. You say, what's she doing waiting? What's she got to wait with? She's got that barley he gave her. What was that? That's a surety of a promise. That's the down payment on the dowry and her debt. She sit there probably in that little house nervous. I hope he's going to come back today and get me. I hope he's coming back today to get me. And every once in a while she look in the corner and see that heap of barley and say, well, he gave me the surety. He gave me the promise. Maybe he'll come back today. Now here's what Ruth didn't know. While she's waiting in chapter 3, he goes to work on in chapter 4. If you read in chapter 4, and we don't have time to read all through it, I'll just tell you the story. In chapter number 4, she had a charge in chapter 3. Now here's her confidence in chapter 4. Boaz gets to work. The very first word in chapter number 4 is the word then. I like that because it tells me he did not tarry. He did not wait. He went right to work on the behalf of this lady that he purposed to redeem. He's working. He goes to the gate of the city. What's the gate of the city? That's a place of legal action. That's a place of judgment. That is the judgment seat of the city. Boaz goes to the gate of the city and he sits down at the judgment place. As he sits there, that near kinsman comes walking by and he says, ho, such a one, turn aside and sit down here. That man turned aside and sat down. You know what that tells me? Boaz had authority in his word. That man obeyed his voice. He came and sat down. Then he gathered up 10 elders of the city. That number 10 in your Bible is the number of the Gentiles. He's dealing with a Moabitess woman who's about to get redeemed. But then you throw in Boaz and a nearer kinsman. That makes 12. So we have a representation now of a Gentile bride and a Jewish proceeding. Oh, I tell you, that's good if you ever read your Bible and study these truths. He's sitting there in the gate of the city and there's a nearer kinsman than him. He, because of the law, goes to that nearer kinsman and he says, hey, listen, remember Elimelech? He said, I do. He said, he died out of the will of God. They said, yeah, that's a shame. It is a shame. Dead, outside the will of God. Well, he left a field back here and it's available if you want to redeem it. That man thought, man, that's good ground. I could raise a farm there, make some money on it. He said, I'll redeem it. Brother Manley said, I'll take it. Boaz said, well, I'll tell you this though. It comes with a catch. And you can interpret that word catch however you want to. It comes with some baggage. It comes with credit card bills and hair all over the bathroom floor. I'm kidding, Des. I mean, I mean, it comes. It comes with a woman. He said, what are you talking about? He said, remember Ruth? He said, yeah, that Moabitess woman. Yeah, that's the one, Robert, the Moabitess woman. 
He said, if you get that field, you got to get hooked up. Not just the field, but you got to take the female that comes with it. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, I, I don't think I can do that. He said, I'm already married. And he said, if I were to marry her and I was to have a child with her, that would divide my inheritance with my current children. That would mar my inheritance. I am already espoused to my own wife. I don't want her to be my wife. And Boaz said, you know what then? I'll do it. Isn't that amazing? Boaz, that mighty man of wealth, goes through the redemption process. Ruth can't see it. She's not involved in it. She's just sitting back at the house on faith, trusting that Boaz is working on her behalf. I'm sure it was difficult. I'm sure she must have gotten weary, but she waited on faith and he worked on this side. And then the day came. Can you imagine? As that bridegroom went down the road to Ruth's house and that caller that went before him said, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. They've already had Passover and the Passover lamb had been slain. And now it's the feast, uh, the, the, the feast of feasts. And now they're taking that sheave and they're waving it, their priestess to God, saying the first fruits have been taken, but there's more in the field to glean. And now the bridegroom comes and calls for Ruth and she steps out and they have a wedding and God blesses their wedding. And that woman that was a widow is now a wife. And that woman that was a stranger is now in the family. And that woman of a wrong nation is in the right nation. Why? Because Boaz came and took her to be his wife. She waited on faith until the day of the wedding. Now let me apply it for our life. This Bible story is a picture for the New Testament Christian. You and I tonight are just like Ruth the Moabitess. We were lost and undone without God or his son. Wicked by birth, nature, and by choice. But thank God for the good day. We heard about a redeemer, a heavenly Boaz, Jesus Christ, and we went to him and laid ourselves down at his feet. He was there by the finished work of Calvary on the threshing floor. He'd already taken care of our sin and we stretched ourselves out and he looked at us and we looked at him and we said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you take me? I'm unrighteous. Would you take me? I'm broken. Would you take me? I'm wretched. Would you take me? He's perfect and holy and righteous and just and for some reason, I, a stranger and you, a stranger, found grace in the eyes of our Redeemer and he said I'll take you then he began to give us a promise he said where I am there ye may be also he said I'm going to go but I'm going to come again there'll be a day when I'll come and receive you unto myself and we'll spend eternity together but until then he said here's what you do you tarry here's what you do you sit still here's what you do you just labor on here's what you do you just trust me by faith and while we're sitting here waiting on this side. He's working on our behalf on that side. I'm glad for what the Bible said then. He didn't tarry. He didn't wait. And even now, as we sit in a, uh, a padded pew on a Wednesday night, we have a heavenly redeemer at the right hand of the Father who is working on our behalf. A high priest, an intercessor. There was a day when Jesus, after he ascended to heaven, went and sat down at the place of judgment. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the majesty on high. He's there tonight. He's not wavered. He's not moved. He is fast and fast on that place of authority. Thank God. You say, who's the nearer kinsman? That's God the Father. God the Father is already espoused to the nation of Israel. He couldn't redeem the Gentiles, but thank God he sent his son to redeem us, and he promised to take us to a wedding one of these days. One of these days, the wedding bells of heaven are going to ring loud. Thank
think God is going to crack the horizon. I said it a little while. The clouds will roll back like a scroll. Our Redeemer shall descend. He's going to come for you and I who are saved. He'll ransom his jewels. Take us home to be with him forever. It'll be worth it to have faith for the day you don't have to have faith. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a child's story. It's not just a fanciful dream. It's not fiction. It is Bible fact that Jesus is coming for you and I. Have faith until he's finished. What do you mean? Let me apply it. Don't quit now. Don't quit right before the wedding. Don't quit right before the rapture. Don't quit right before he comes. Oh, it's not time to quit. It's not time to quit your bus route now. Jesus is coming. Are you serious? How are you going to quit on him now? Jesus is coming. It's not time to cut back now. Jesus is coming. It's not time to skip soul winning now. Jesus is coming. It is not time to lay back on preaching now. Jesus is coming. It's not time to quit singing for God now. Jesus is coming. It's not time to silence your trumpets now. Jesus is coming. It's not time to empty the orchestra now. Jesus is coming. It's not time to get discouraged. It's not time to quit on God. The Lord is coming and he's coming soon. Oh, I think about the prerogative. I'm glad for the day I went to the Lord. I thank God for the promise. I'm glad he said he'll come again. I thank God for the provision. I'm glad he loads me with benefits. I've got the surety of the Holy Ghost within and the surety of the scripture without. And on those days when I sit there and think, I don't know if it's worth it. I really feel like going to a wedding. I don't know if he's going to come back and get me or not. I'll tell you what I'd do. Look over the heap of barley in the back corner of my soul. And remember the day he saved me from hell. And remember the sweet Holy Spirit that guides me through life. And then open up my Bible and leaf through the pages of God's word. And let it speak to me and say, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every line. He meant what he said. And he said what he meant. And one of these days he'll come and take us to be with him. Have faith until he's finished. I remember using the illustration when I first started preaching about a little boy that was too poor to buy a toy at a toy store, so he'd go and just look through the glass at it. He just looked through the glass and just admire it. Think about how great it would be to have the toy. And the man who owned the toy store watched this boy do that day after day, and he felt sorry for him. So the man from the toy store took the toy one day outside of the case it was in and outside the door of his shop and handed it to the little boy. The little boy just held that toy and stared at it and wept. And the man said, I thought you'd be happy. He said, I am happy. I just can't get over how good it is with no glass in between now. I want you to understand something. Now we see through a glass darkly. But can I say how beautiful heaven must be? <laughs> tongue can't explain it mind can't comprehend it heart can't wrap itself around it we've never sung the right song or written the right poem or preached the right sermon to adequately describe how beautiful heaven's going to be all I know is it a place of no pain a place of no trouble all I know is what the Bible tells me there's no tears over there all I know is there's no need for a lamp or a candle because the lamb is the light thereof I know there's no night over there I know there's no grave digger's shovel ever penetrated the soil of the city I know there's no sirens or funeral homes I'm glad there's no hospital beds I can't really describe it to you the way I ought to and wish I could but I'll tell you this it's far better Paul Paul said than anything you ever experienced down here. And wouldn't it be bad to quit on God now? 
and then see him face to face, maybe tonight, tomorrow, but soon. I want to challenge you. Let's have faith until he's finished. Boy, there's a lot of Bible truths that are not until. They're they're forever. But I'm kind of glad faith isn't. I'm kind of glad faith isn't. We did long-distance relationship when we first met. I was in West Virginia, finished up my Bible college, and she went to a maximum security Bible college uh, somewhere else. And so I wasn't allowed to get in, and she couldn't get out. So we, we courted, if that's what you have to say in Christian circles, it was dating. But anyway, we dated on the phone. I have a cell phone bill in my black Bible in my office, my little preaching, about $747 for one month <coughs> calling her. I thought we had, that was before you could call people for free on cell phones. You all don't even really know. It costs money every time you call somebody outside of your network. And I didn't know that. She's always been expensive, brethren. Just remember this. All right, mark it down. I'm trying, preacher. I'm trying to tell you. And then you come to our house and look in our garage, and it's like my shoes all the way down this side of the wall, and she has like three pair. But anyway, she's very expensive. It was all right talking on the phone and all that, but it was better when she came home. She came home for Christmas break, and I made her backslide, and she never went back to that Bible college. I saved you from going liberal, probably. She came, she came home from that college, maximum security Bible college there in Florida, or wherever it was, Florida, principal, anyway, Florida, that's where it was. She, she came home, and I put a little ring on her finger. You know what that ring was? That was 15 gallons of barley. When I put that ring on her finger, I made her a promise, I'm going to come get you to be my bride. That was an earnest assurity. But she wasn't my wife yet. But you know what? She probably thought about every day between December 24th, yeah, and July 29th, yeah. (laughs) That was dangerous right there, though, Robert. Oh, my. You know what she thought about probably every day? Wedding. Because she had to plan a lot of it. You know what I thought about every day? Wedding, (laughs) for sure. Every day it was on my mind. I'd like to have gotten her sooner, but there was an appointed time. We already set the date. It was already set. But when that day came, I went to that little white church in West Virginia, middle of nowhere. There's a bunch of women at that church. You know, I didn't have any trouble figuring out which one Austin I was going to marry. You know why? I was looking for the one that already had the ring on her finger. When you got saved, God took the Holy Spirit and put it within you. What is that? That's your engagement ring. That's the down payment on your dowry. And when he comes back, he's not coming for just everybody. If you're not saved, you can fool a preacher, trick a parent, lie to a friend, but the Lord when he comes back. Those of us who are going to rise up to meet and go to the wedding have the earnest of the Holy Spirit within. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will one day quicken your mortal bodies, amen, and will resurrect. If the, will either resurrect or get raptured out because of the Holy Spirit within us. It was good talking on the phone. Is a lot better in person. Now, eh. but anyway, at first, <laughs> it was, it was, it's a lot better in person. Hey, it's pretty good doing what we're doing now, is what I'm saying. I love church. Amen. I mean, honestly, I love it. I love church. I've been in almost, I don't know how many churches, hundreds and hundreds of churches. This is the one that I'd like to be in the best, though. 
you should go travel. Give, give yourself about 14 years of full-time traveling and you won't leave. <clears throat> I love it. I like the choir singing. I like the specials. Offerings offer sometimes, Caleb. Sometimes they're weak, but no, I'm kidding. They're always good. I like it all. I love every bit of it. But this cannot compare to how good it's going to be whenever the glass is not between. Reunions every moment of eternity. Rejoicing around the throne. Don't quit tonight. One of these days he's coming again. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.